For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. We're going to be kind of moving through chapters 4 through 8 this morning. If you're looking for Romans, just uh, look for, turn, turn to the New Testament, find one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then just kind of keep going Acts, and then Romans will be right there. It's a big week for a lot of reasons. Not only uh, the Mission Forward campaign coming to a close, it's also my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, sweetie. So make sure you say happy birthday to her if you see her. And not only that, uh, we are welcoming in 19 new members right at the end of the service, which is uh, so exciting. We can't wait to do that. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. And, uh, and on top of all that, it's Palm Sunday. And uh, so I am so excited to... Uh, Spend some time in the Word this morning. On Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly, hailed as a Savior. And then by Thursday, he had been betrayed and arrested. And on Friday, he had been put to death. And then, praise the Lord, on Sunday, he rose from the grave. And so for the next two weeks, we are going to be talking about that. I couldn't wait until Easter to talk about the resurrection. So, Jr., you can put up that title slide. The sermon, there it is. I couldn't wait until Easter to talk about the resurrection. We're going to spend two weeks talking about the resurrection. We kind of talk about the resurrection every single Sunday here at Rock Prairie, but we are, uh, especially for these next two weeks, going to celebrate what it means that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so hopefully you've turned with me to Romans chapter 4. Please bow your heads with me and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we just praise you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Thank you that we can sing that, that we know that those things are, in fact, true of you, God. They're not true of us, they're true of you. And so we gather here this morning to worship you, to give you the praise and honor and glory that you deserve. So, Lord, I pray that as we spend some time looking at the resurrection this morning and all that it means, first of all, God, I pray if there's anyone in here who hears this this morning and doesn't know you, isn't following you, has never repented of their sins and trusted in you, trusted in Jesus as their Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That would be the most important thing that happened today, God. So we pray that that would be true. And Lord, for all of us in here this morning, uh, just help us to fall more and more in love with you as we understand more what the resurrection means. Help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as is true of most households with preschoolers, we are right there with you in that we are stuck smack in the middle of the why phase of our son Owen's development as a five-year-old, and I'd heard rumors of this phase when he was younger, but uh, we're really in it now. Uh, He's asking the question why at just about anything we ever say. Anything you tell him, he asks a question and you answer, and then he says, why? And then you answer that question, and he says, why? And then you answer that question, and he says, why? And then eventually, you just get to this last word that just is meant to end all the why questions, which as parents, you guys know this very well, because, right? Because that's just what it is. Please don't ask me any more questions. All the time. Why is the moon up there? Why don't I have school today? Dad, why do you have so much hair under your armpits? And on and on and on it goes. He's especially obsessed with getting bigger and stronger with the food that he eats. And so the other day he was eating eggs and he asked, you know, takes a bite. Was the, are these eggs going to make me stronger? And I said, yeah, they are. And he said, why? And I said, uh, 
Well, I've actually felt pretty good about myself because they have pro- eggs have protein and protein makes you stronger. I'm like, I can actually answer that one. And then he said, why? <laughs> why does protein make you stronger? Uh, well, it makes your muscles stronger. Something that's in some food that we eat that makes your muscles stronger. Well, why? I don't know, buddy. It just, I, it just is. And then he's asking every food if it has protein in it and why it has protein in it. I don't know the answers. Maybe if I'd paid more attention in certain science classes, I would know more of the answers. The point is, it doesn't take very many why questions for me to recognize how shallow my knowledge is about certain things. Why are we talking about this? Well, next Sunday's Easter. I'm going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I wonder, collectively... How many why questions we could answer about the resurrection? It's something that we talk about a lot. It's something that in some ways we take for granted. And I wonder if we could answer questions about why it's so important. Now I think, by and large, hopefully, we can mostly answer questions uh, about, the, um, about the cross, right? If someone asks you, why did Jesus die on the cross? I would think that you would, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'd have your heartfelt answer ready, right? He died to take away my sin. He paid the punishment that I deserved. He died to wash me white as snow so I could be forgiven, so I could be reconciled to God. I would hope that we could answer those questions about the cross, but I wonder if we can answer those same questions about the resurrection, which we celebrate on Easter. We make a big deal about Easter, don't we? We all dress up. We take family pictures. We all make ham for some reason. I mean, ham's fine, but we all make ham. I don't know why. As, as in ministry, right? Pastor David and I are starting about February, starting to talk about what our Easter service is going to look like. It's a big deal, and it should be a big deal. But the question this morning is... Could you answer the question, why does the resurrection matter? Like if you were really pressed, if you really kept asking, well, why does the resurrection matter? In fact, what if somebody came up to you and said, it doesn't matter if Jesus raised from the dead or not. As long as he died for my sins so I could go to heaven, it doesn't really matter if Jesus was raised or not. There's plenty of people who believe that. So how would you answer that question, why? Hopefully, it would be more than just because, (laughs) Right? Because it matters. He rose from the dead. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are going to get theological this morning. You guys ready to get theological this morning? Next week, we're going to be getting biographical. Talk about the story of the resurrection. We're going to do a deep dive into what happened the day that Jesus rose. That's next week. But this week, we're getting theological. We're talking about why does the resurrection matter so much. And that's why we're in the book of Romans. We're going to see three things in Romans that tell us why the resurrection matters. Here's the first. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? He arose to save us. To save us. Romans 4, 24 to 25. says this. It, meaning righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in him. Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and catch this, raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. Now, what in the world does justification mean? We've talked about this a little bit before. Justification is a big, fancy theological word which simply means this that God looks at you just as if 
I've never sinned. It's one of the most amazing truths in all of Christianity. If you're taking notes, that's a great thing to write down. Justification equals just as if I never sinned. The fact that we know that we have sinned and we bring a lot of junk to the Lord. And yet, God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. God sees those who are in Christ as clothed with the righteousness of Christ. All those good things that Jesus did that we didn't do, God sees those applied to us rather than our own filthy rags of our own things that we think are our righteous deeds. Justification is what allows us to have that relationship with the Father that we messed up. It's what fixes it. Because God cannot abide with sin. Which makes this passage really interesting. Think about it. You would expect it to say that Jesus died for our justification, right? That Jesus died on the cross to pay that penalty that we deserve so we could be saved. In fact, later on in Romans, it does say that uh, we have, Paul says uh, in Romans chapter 5, that we have been justified by his blood, so why does Paul say here he was raised for our justification? We've got to think about this. Put on our thinking caps for a minute. What's the connection between the resurrection on Easter Sunday and us being declared righteous in the eyes of God? Or put another way, let's go back to that original question. Could Jesus have paid the penalty for our sin if he just died on the cross and didn't raise from the dead? That's the question. Could we spend eternity with God the Father because we've been forgiven if Jesus had stayed dead? The answer, no. Why? Because you are a really big sinner. I like to make like a prolonged eye contact with one person when I think, say things like that. Really start to get them starting to sweat. That's true of all of us, right? I'm using you plural there. You are a really big sinner. You messed up your whole relationship with God. This is the gospel. You messed it all up. And it's not just because of one sin either. It's because of an entire life that was opposed to God and opposed to his reign, whether you came to Jesus at age 7 or age 70. Your life before that was a life opposed to God. And so God gave us his law, his rules in his word, and all those rules did were condemn us. All they did was show us how far short we fell. And because of your sin, you owed the penalty of death. Now that might seem kind of harsh, right? It's hard to understand that, especially if there's a lot of people who have done a lot worse things than you, and you've tried your best your whole life to do what's right. So why in the world would I owe the penalty of death? And the truth is, because of the holiness of God. And if you could see God in his holiness, you would just get it immediately, if you saw the, the burning righteousness of God compared to your meager works that you've tried to do, you would just understand in an instant, I have no business being in the presence of God the Father. None whatsoever. We deserve the penalty of death. And so some had to give. Neither you were going to pay that penalty or someone else was going to pay it for you. And it couldn't just be anyone else to pay that penalty of death. It needed to be a perfect man. You needed someone else to come and actually do all the things that the law said that you failed to do, and then that person needed to die. And let's just take it one step for further. That man actually also needed to be the Son of God. 
fully God. And when we think about it like that, it all seems pretty unlikely, doesn't it? Like imagine that you're on death row because you murdered someone and you're about to face your execution and your executioner comes in and says, There's, you do have one hope to be saved. If somebody steps in and takes your place, pays this punishment for you, you can walk away free. There's one person, but there's only one person in the world and it's Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. If he decides to take your place, then you can walk free. What would you think to yourself as you're moments away from your death? You'd say, well, it's been a good run. <laughs> that seems pretty unlikely, though. I don't know Elon Musk. He doesn't have any business knowing me. And even if I got a hold of him somehow, there wouldn't be much that I could offer him to make this whole transaction seem very attractive. A, he seems to have most everything he could need. <laughs> and B, I don't know if he's ready to die. Pretty much, I'm toast. That's, kind of, that's very silly. Just think about it. If you don't have anything to offer the richest man in the universe, how much less do you have to offer the God of the universe? Well, you have way less. That's the answer to that. If you think it's unlikely that the richest man in the world would step in to save a murderer on death row, how much more unlikely is it that the Son of God would do, say, sacrifice himself for us, it's way more unlikely. We need to kind of feel that because I think because we know what happened, we know the end of the story, we almost kind of can feel this inevitability that, well, sure, yeah, Jesus came and died for my sins. No big deal. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. The great exchange of the gospel is that you bring all of your just like nastiest crud, for lack of a better word, like the worst of the worst of what's in your heart, you bring that to the cross and God says, I'll take that and I'll give you my righteousness. You bring the worst of you, he says, I'll keep that and I'll forgive it and I'll never think about it again. Here's eternal life. This is the beauty of the cross. And there's nothing in you that is so bad that Christ will not take it. That's what the enemy wants you to think. Oh, I done way too much. It's too late for me. It is not too late for you. Hear that this morning. There's nothing else you hear this morning. If you're not following Jesus, it is not too late for you. This is the beautiful exchange of the gospel. We bring our junk and God takes it and we bear it no more. And that burden that you've carried on your shoulders your whole life that is just pressing and crushing you, Jesus lifts it off at Praise God, amen. So if you're not following Jesus yet, let me just urge you, don't reject that love. Why did Jesus do that? Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So don't reject that love. Don't say, ah, I'm fine. I, I think I can figure it out on my own. You can't. I promise you, you can't. Jesus showed you how much he loved you at the cross. So come to him. That's my kind of side note. But here, going back to our original question, if all this is true, why did Jesus have to raise from the dead to be justified? Here's why. This is so great. See, when Jesus died on the cross, there's this question looming out there, right? Was it enough? Was this really the righteous man? Was this really the son of God? Was he really perfect? Did he really never sin? Did he really bear the weight of the world and the sins of every man 
on his shoulders at the cross? Did he really pay the punishment for me? And in the resurrection, God stamps his approval and says, yes, that's true for you. The resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus as that perfect man. So that if you are united to him, now you have been forgiven. It's his validation. Yes, this is the one. And now you can be saved. Easter Sunday, the resurrection is God's overwhelming and resounding yes. We needed Jesus to be fully God so that he could succeed where every human failed. And we needed Jesus to be fully man so that he could identify with us as our representative. So that God's yes to Jesus would be a yes to you. And you, 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 and me. Praise God. Jesus wasn't the Son of God if he hadn't lived a perfectly righteous life. He hadn't borne the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders when he died. Then God wouldn't have raised him. But God raised him. And in doing so, he was raised for our justification. So that we could be united with him in his death. And forgiven. And all that junk removed. And not only that so that we could walk in newness of life as well. And that's the second thing that happens at the cross. Not only did Jesus, at the, at the resurrection, not only did Jesus arise to save us, he also arose to change us. He arose to change us. Turn over to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Just a couple of pages in your Bible. It says this, Romans 6, 1 to 4. In Romans chapter 5, it's talking about the grace of God that we just talked about. Saying, when there's more sin, there's more grace. You can never run out of God's grace. So then in Romans chapter 6, Paul is uh, kind of addressing maybe what could be a flawed argument as a result of that logic. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If we get more grace the more we sin, should we just keep on sinning so God can shower us with his grace more and more? And he says... By no means. Meganoito is what he says. Sorry to use that strong language here in church, but uh, that's what he says. Heck no is what he's saying. No way. Absolutely not. May it never be. Why? How can we who died to sin still live in it? You already died to sin, so how are you going to keep living in something that you already died to? It doesn't make sense. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, here's the key part, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I have this theory, which is that for many of us, myself included, we often miss out on some of the greatest benefits that we are promised in following Jesus. I really believe that. I'm not just saying that. It's not just kind of a cute sermon thing that I'm doing. I really believe that we can often miss out on some of the greatest benefits, the greatest realities about walking with the Lord because we never go deep enough in our relationship with him to get there. 
It's like if you ever go to the Indianapolis Zoo and right when you walk in, they got the sea lions and uh, they're really, you know, they're great and they're swimming around and splashing and they're getting fed. And, but, you, you know, you go and you look at the sea lions and then half the time you see parents who are like trying to drag their kids away like, all right, let's go see the giraffes. Let's go see. And they're like, I want to just stay here and see the sea lions, right? Well, you're missing out. I mean, the sea lions are great, but you're missing out on so much more. In the same way, it can be true with our relationship with the Lord. And this is the thing I think that we miss. We forget that Christ is in us right now. He is in you. Jesus Christ. I'm guilty of this too. Now we have a tendency, we just talked about the fact that our sins are forgiven, and that is a really big deal. And that's great. We also often talk about the hope that we have after death because of Christ. We'll be in heaven in eternity with him and praise the Lord for that. These are good things. But it's not everything because following Jesus actually has everything to do with how you live your life right now. We are in Christ and Christ is in you. And there's this richness that we're promised in Christ that I think is just beyond what we could ever even like hope to realize in our own lives. I heard it described this way, that our relationship with Christ, maybe you've heard this before, is like the relationship to an outlet and a plug. And we're the plug, and Christ is the outlet. What's a plug when it's not plugged in? Nothing, right? It's not doing anything. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. When it's plugged in, what is the plug giving to the outlet? Nothing. When it's plugged in, what is the outlet giving to the plug? Everything. The electricity that shoots through it. That allows it to do what it was designed to do. It is the exact same thing in our relationship with Christ. If you're following Jesus, your hope isn't only in your sins being forgiven, although it is. Your hope isn't only in eternal life, although it is. Your hope is in the fact that you've been plugged into Christ. And now according to Ephesians 3, you've been filled with all the fullness of God. Can I say that again? <laughs> Wake us up a little. You've been filled with the fullness of God. What? What does that even mean? Filled with the fullness of God. What does that mean for my life? Am I living like that right now? I don't think so. What would it mean for my life if I did live like that? I don't even know. Filled with the fullness of God is like blows your mind. But at the very least, I think... If I really understood that, I probably wouldn't be so anxious all the time or fearful, wouldn't struggle with guilt or loneliness or shame or despair or worry. Certainly, I wouldn't just keep on sinning because I know, oh, it's okay, God will have grace. I'm filled with the fullness of God. If I'm united with Christ and I've been raised with him and I've been plugged in to that electrical so socket, man, everything's going to change, right? The difference between an unplugged cord and a plugged-in cord. Everything changes. His death and resurrection was about forgiveness and eternal life, yes. But let's not miss this, too, that he was raised so that as we were united with him, as Christ lives in you, you can walk in newness of life. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13. I love this. It's like, right to me. <laughs> Do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Just hear like the exasperation in his voice as he's writing to people and uh, the Corinthian people who are often not realizing that about themselves. And I often don't realize that about myself either in the way that I live. Do you not realize this about yourself? Jesus Christ is in you. The same one who was raised. 
I need this reminder all the time. I suspect you do too. Church, Jesus Christ is in you. That's incredible. So don't keep living like you're unplugged. He arose to save us, and he arose to change everything about us. So if you've been living like you're unplugged, like we all do from time to time, plug in. Plug into Christ. Allow his fullness to change you. He arose to save us. He arose to change us. And then finally, it just keeps getting better and better, church. He arose to give us life. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. Our sins were forgiven. We can walk in new life in Christ. And then one day we can look forward to eternity with our Savior. When he talks about giving life to your mortal bodies, he's talking about eternal life. In Romans chapter 6, he's talking about the life we live right now. In Romans chapter 8, he's talking about eternal life. He says, if that same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is also in you, guess what? You can look forward to being raised from the dead as well. This is all over in Scripture. Weirdly, they're all verse 14s. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus grounds our hope in our own resurrection as well. If Jesus had not been raised, we would have no hope to be raised. But the same spirit that was at work in Christ Jesus to raise him from the dead now dwells in you and gives you hope for eternal life. Praise God. Praise God. Because he arose, you have hope to be resurrected as well. So let me just say as we close, it's Easter week, right? We got one week until Easter. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste the time that we have. Yeah, certainly we can and should and do celebrate the resurrection all the time. This is a great opportunity that we all have to focus on this together. Think about what it means, the cross and the empty grave. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste this time. Jesus was raised for your justification. His resurrection is proof that the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf was sufficient to break down that dividing wall between you and your father. He was raised for your sanctification. His resurrection is the electricity that now surges through you as you've been filled with the fullness of God, church. And he was raised for your glorification. And you can know 100% that death is not the end. Praise God. Indeed, we can look forward to eternity worshiping the Savior who made it all possible. Because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fears are gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living right now because he lives. Praise God for our Savior who loves us and who lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we're just in awe of you. Not only that all this happened, which is incredible enough on its own, but that you decided all of this before the foundation of the world. From eternity past, you knew the story. 
In fact, you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before you. So God, we thank you. We confess to you ways that we don't live like we understand that we've been filled with all the fullness of God. Help us, God. Forgive us and help us to know your grace. Lord, if anyone, once again, is in here this morning and doesn't know you, doesn't know the awesomeness of what it means to follow you, may today be the day that they are saved, God. May they not waste what you're doing, what you're speaking to them right now. Pray that they would come to you in repentance. Say, God, I need you. I messed this up. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. and Help me follow you. For those of us who are in Christ, Lord, may we not waste this week, waste this time. Maybe the theology of why this matters, may that drive us to worship you who matters, God. Thank you. We praise you that Jesus lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.